Our thoughts then direct our actions, and those actions shape our lives. Sean Swarner. Man's time here is finite, but the influence of a man is infinite. The question is what shall we do with the daylight that remains? All right, guys, let's do this again. Today, we're talking about Being Unstoppable, Conquering Your Everest by Sean Swarner. Sean has been on the show before, uh, and he told his incredible life story of surviving two cancers, climbing Everest, trekking the North and South Poles, summiting the highest peak on every continent, and some of the foundations he's, he's doing. So I just wanted to highlight Sean's book for you, uh, which has some of the same content, but parts of it are more a path for you to create your own best life and achieve your own dreams. So I wanted to sort of walk through that a little bit. And we have a lot of new listeners. And so if you haven't listened to that one, that's called Conquering Your Everest. It was recorded about last February or March, I think, because Sean went to Mount Kilimanjaro in February, and then he jumped on the podcast with me. So it was probably in March. But Conquering Your Everest, go check that out. Sean's a very cool guy. Uh, and he does a lot of things to uh, provide opportunities for you to join in the fun, whether that's contributing to the cancer uh, projects that he's got going on or helping someone climb Mount Kilimanjaro, or if you want to join that. And then also he's got a thing that he calls the Big Hill Challenge, which um, I think is something worthwhile. So being unstoppable. Let me just read a little bit about him. I know that I just recapped some of it, his life, but it says, Sean Swarner is a philanthropist, author, and keynote speaker. He's a two-time terminal cancer survivor who has dedicated his life to helping others reach their full potential. Sean created Cancer Climber with his brother in 2001, a nonprofit organization that pays for and travels with cancer survivors to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Sean's passion for climbing and adventure blossomed after becoming the first cancer survivor to summit Mount Everest. Since then, he has climbed all seven summits and has skied to both North and South Poles, making him the first cancer survivor to complete the Explorer's Grand Slam. He accomplished all of this and completed the Hawaii Ironman, all while having only one functioning lung. His adventures and passions have captured the attention of millions, and in 2017, a team followed Sean to the North Pole and made a documentary about him and his triumphs. The documentary True North was released on Amazon Prime. In 2018, Sean was voted one of the top eight most inspirational people in history and was the recipient of the Don't Ever Give Up Award presented by the Jimmy V Foundation and ESPN. He splits his time between Colorado and Puerto Rico with his wife. So Sean's a pretty amazing guy. He's a very cool person. Uh, I'm honored to have met him, and uh, one of these days, I will climb Mount Kilimanjaro with him. Sean, if you're listening to this one, uh, don't give up on me, buddy. I will climb Mount Kilimanjaro with you one day. Uh, so if you are also interested in climbing Kilimanjaro, you can go over to Sean's website and check that out. He does a trip every uh, every July, and I think as of the last couple of years, he's been going in February, too. So there's a few opportunities to to try and make that happen, though he does take small groups, so uh, plan ahead of time. So 
Sean talks a lot about being in a positive mental state in his book, and we're going to get into that. But uh, I want to mention to you guys one way that I keep myself focused, and that is is through Magic Mind, this little two-ounce fluid shot of goodness here. <laughs> Some people like to take it with their coffee or their energy drink or something. I think this is its it's a perfect shot by itself. Uh, it's just got a perfect amount of caffeine for me. It's got other things that help extend the life of the caffeine and also sort of relaxing agents. So you got two different things going on at the same time, but it's got matcha to boost your energy, adaptogens to help you relax, nootropics to, that keep you focused. And so when I'm in one of those modes where I just don't really want to get the things done that I should get done, Magic Mind pre- seems to to bring me back to earth and helps me focus in and get all my to-dos done. And I've I've really enjoyed it. So if you want to try it out and have the same benefits that I experienced from Magic Mind, go over to magicmind.co forward slash the life you want and use the promo code the life you want two zero with the number 20 on the end. The life you want 20 and get yourself a discount on your first order of Magic Mind and, and let me know what you think about it. It's it's been awesome for me. Hope you enjoy the same same benefits. So let's jump into being unstoppable. Give you a few highlights, a couple summaries. Hopefully you'll be inspired to to purchase this book and read it for yourself. So Sean, a very good childhood, pretty pretty typical American family, good parents, uh exploring, adventuring as a kid and then suddenly when he's uh I believe 13 he's diagnosed with stage five Hodgkin's disease, which Hodgkin's disease is basically a cancer of your lymphatic system, which is, you know, basically your immune system. Your lymph nodes are all over your body. Your lymph system cleans your body, uh, fights illnesses and all these things. And so uh, this is not a good thing for him. He's basically given six months to live and he has to fight cancer as a teenager while all his friends are out you know, starting to flirt with girls and adventuring and being being idiots together. He's losing his hair, going through chemo, uh, fighting for his life. So he says right here, I began talking to myself again about what my options were at this point. Came down to two choices, either fight for my life or give up and die. So I can't imagine being 13 years old and faced with that type of a decision to make, which is pretty incredible for Sean. So after this, he's going through the chemo, his hair's falling out. He, he describes this scene in the shower where his, the drain's plugged and he's just devastated at what's going on and uh, sort of feeling a bit broken, right? Which you can only imagine. But he later says, it took a long time, but eventually I decided that no matter what I looked like, I would always remain true to myself and who I was raised to be. Cancer could take my hair, it could even ruin my body, but it would never take my mind, my sense of humor, or my determination to make it through this and get my life back. I had cancer, there was nothing I could do about that, but deal with it and focus on getting back to being normal again. Having these constant positive thoughts and affirmations flowing through my mind overwhelmed the negative thoughts and pushed them from my brain. I continued to visualize and focus on the end, getting healthy and normal again. Every night, I would picture myself swimming again, coming out of the water a champion. Every time I had a treatment and the cool toxic chemicals were pumped into my veins, I would visualize the chemo going into my body where a battle of epic proportions was taking place. 
Throughout the book, he talks about his mentality. When negative thoughts came in, he would try and pass those along as quickly as possible and replace them with positive thoughts, trying to focus on what he could control, his future, visualizing himself a champion, later visualizing himself on Mount Everest. Uh, he's, he's big on sort of deconstructing what it is, that vision that you have, what are the steps you need to take to get there, and doing what you can. Nearly a year went by as I battled the cancer. These were some of the hardest days of my life. I gained about 70 pounds and lost every strand of hair in my body. I lost myself. In a way, I lost my life for a while. But he has this goal of getting back to swimming. And when he gets in the pool, he was super pumped. He was excited. Uh, felt good to be in the pool. He took the first few strokes and felt good. And then he, And then he describes this. The first couple of strokes felt great, slow but great. The feeling didn't last long, though. After swimming down and back the length of the pool just one time, I was out of breath and exhausted. One time. My heart felt like it was pounding out of my chest. My arms, well, my arms felt like they had fallen off and sunk to the bottom of the pool. I was so frustrated. He had to use the ladder to climb out of the pool. He was just too weak. And I can relate somewhat. Uh, I ruptured my spleen as a young teen and I was told by the doctors not to get my heart rate up at all for three months. And so I didn't go to school for like six weeks or something like that. And then I finally went to school, but was still inactive, had to change all my classes. So I couldn't be in PE or weights or any of that. And, um, eventually I got released to play basketball the day before our first freshman basketball game. And so I went from being as intentionally lazy as possible to playing a basketball game where the intensity is kind of at its peak, right? And I, within a very short time, was waving at the coach, just huffing and puffing, saying, coach, you got to take me out. Like, I could not breathe. I was dying. So when Sean describes this moment, jumping in the pool and excited to to go do his thing and like, being exhausted after a tiny little moment. I hear you there, buddy. It was awful. Just prior to that, he says, I had a temperature of 108 at one point and had an out-of-body experience where I floated above my body with the Grim Reaper and saw my own corpse lying on the bed below. Uh, creepy experience for a young one. So I'll let you read about his uh, retraining to become a swimmer again pretty inspiring how how dedicated he was fast forward he says as he was trying to sort of reintegrate with normal life all his friends and stuff were so concerned with silly things like fashion or shoes or girls or whatever and he just sort of didn't relate all that well uh maybe this is my own opinion but just sort of like his experience with life or death choices being made at a young age he maybe matured faster and was more more determined to be a good person and focus on things that really mattered in life rather than what shoes you had. So kind of a strange uh, transformation for a young kid. So fast forward to 16 years old, he goes in for a routine checkup like he had done many times, and he's diagnosed with Askin's sarcoma a type of cancer that affects only three out of one million people and that has a survivability rate of roughly 6%. He says that means that if 100 people are diagnosed with this new type of cancer, 
94 of them don't make it. So no one else in the entire world in the history of cancer had ever been diagnosed with both Hodgkin's disease and Askin's sarcoma. Not a single one. Lucky me. There was no precedent, no protocol to follow. I was about to become a medical guinea pig pumped with a chemical cocktail that had little chance of ridding my body of this deadly disease. That was if I made it past the next two weeks, 14 days. That's all the time I was given to live. Can you imagine being 16 years old and told you have 14 days to live? Soak it up, buddy. 14 days, make the best of it. That's just insane. So this time, the cancer's so aggressive that the treatment was obviously also very aggressive. So in order to not basically give this kid more PTSD than is necessary, he would come to the hospital on Monday. They would put him in a coma. They would do his treatments throughout the week and send him home on the weekend. He would return on Monday if his blood levels and health was sufficient that he could go for another round. They would do the same thing. So he basically was in a coma for most of the his 16th year of life. He says he doesn't remember hardly a day of being 16 except for the month of September. Fast forward, he goes to college. He's trying to find a degree. What's his path in life? He changes his degree. He's working on a PhD. He's bartending at night. He's just living on kind of two ends of the spectrum, partying a lot. He's not feeling very uh, like emotionally or mentally charged by any of these things and eventually determines that like he doesn't see the path for him, but he's going to have to make his own path. And that's when he starts uh, coming up with some things like, maybe I'll climb Mount Everest. And that's where the book goes, his, his journey to climbing Mount Everest. He and his brother move from Florida to Colorado, and they live in a campsite, camping in a tent and cooking over an open fire while he trains hiking these big mountains because Colorado has some mountains that are, you know, 14,000 feet. And so he's hiking with backpack full of rocks. He's hiking in the cold in shorts. He's carrying snowballs in his bare hands to try and acclimate himself to altitude and extreme temperatures. In the meantime, he's calling companies trying to get sponsorships to help him fund this uh, Everest adventure. Last time I talked to Sean, he told me that the cost of this trip is about the cost of a, an expensive car. And so it's not cheap. And he, he really didn't have money at the time, neither did his brother. And so they're doing this together. And um, eventually they get some sponsorships and they make it happen. Trains for close to a year, eight months, and it's time to go. So he, he explains his trip some of the details, the acts that carry his equipment, the little towns he goes through, the terrifying airports he was in, the uh, experience of going up the mountain. One time where he literally got off of this section of ice, crossed a, a cavern on a ladder just before the ice crumbled right where he was standing and into a giant cavern of ice. Because I didn't really think about this, but... Uh, you know, the mountains covered in ice way up there. And every time the sun comes out and sort of beats on the ice, it'll break and melt and fall and slide, right? Glaciers are sort of moving. I knew that, but I didn't really think about it. And apparently this glacier moves like four feet a day and parts of it fall off and crumble. And 
things like that. And some of these caverns are just hundreds of feet deep. And so it's uh, pretty risky, not just because of the altitude, but because of the moving, falling, collapsing terrain that you're uh, climbing. So pretty wild. So you, you get to know a few people while you're there because you actually there's base camp and then you go up and establish three different camps of, of your own to sort of acclimate to the altitude and get your gear ready and things like that. So it's like a month long deal going up and down this mountain and eventually you make a run for the top. Well, you get to know some people that are both coming, going up and coming down. And uh, one guy he knew was up at like camp three or something and was hit by a storm. He couldn't find his own tent. So he just jumped in somebody else's tent, but he didn't have food and water. And eventually he misclipped and slid down a 45 degree angle of sheet of ice into a giant cavern. And Sean told me that you could see his blood trail sliding down the ice. So a pretty wild ride up there, right? Eventually he makes it to the top. His brother was supposed to go with him, but they didn't really have the funds uh, to do that. So his brother, Seth, stayed at base camp and sort of watched the weather and communicated to the world and all these different things. When you have sort of a partner at base camp, they help navigate certain parts of the trip. So uh, his brother did get to do the trip with him, but didn't summit. Sean summits. His brother calls his parents to let him know that, you know, they have a son standing on the top of the world. And throughout the book, there's a lot of very emotionally pulling moments, such as his parents dealing with a teenager and fighting cancer. And then again, and then now he's going to go on the top of a mountain and they're sort of like, why do you keep putting us on the edge here. Don't, don't freaking go die on an icy mountain now. But when he actually accomplishes his goal, it's very inspiring. He later goes on to trek all these other mountains and things like that. The latter portion of the book is called part three, begin your own success journey by Lance Snow. So it's written sort of in third person. These are Sean's methods. These are the things he's done, how to re reverse engineer a big vision that you have. I'll read you some of the titles so you kind of understand what he he's giving you here. One section is defining your dream. Chapter 12 is called overcoming the barriers to success. Barrier one, negative self-talk. Uh, two is dream guilt. How can I chase and achieve my dream when there are so many people out there suffering, starving, in poverty, struggling, etc.? Uh, so he's got all these sections under these things, like ways to think about poverty or illness, your illness. Barrier three, external influences. They think I'm crazy, silly, going to fail. How to deal with those things. Life constraints. <laughs> I can relate to this one just the other day. So I literally booked a trip to Europe yesterday. And in doing that, we're trying to negotiate all these things because I have four kids. Some of them are involved with a variety of activities, not just school, but uh, sports and dance and music and all this stuff. And then, you know, all the stuff that I have and my wife has, it just doesn't seem like there's ever a good time to do something big. But we love to travel, right? We live in a pretty small house so that our mortgage is small, that our expenses are small, so that we can put a lot of money towards some of these big adventures that we really enjoy to do together. 
But he says, for instance, take your family. There's always a birthday party to attend or a wedding or a holiday gathering, and not to mention your friends' activities. When is there time to pursue your dream? There isn't. There isn't any time to chase your dream and make it a reality unless you realize there is. <laughs> it's tricky. It's a trade-off. You must t- make the time to chase this dream or it will never happen. Time is your most valuable commodity. We can always make more money to learn new skills, but we can never get time back. We choose how to use a minute or an hour, and once they're gone, we never get them back. So you must constantly ask yourself, is this the best use of my time to achieve my dream and make the life I choose? Excellent question to ask yourself. Going forward, barrier five, waiting for permission. Chapter 13, start at the end and work backwards. Crafting your dream statement. It's a five-step process. The dream statement checklist, the next step to your success journey. So anyway, these are some pretty impressive strategies, some of which are very similar to what I've written in my book, Ingrained. But what do successful people do to achieve something great? And Sean is really excellent at visualizing himself in the moment. When he was thinking of his swimming, he he wanted to visualize coming out of the water as a champion, the burn of his lungs, the strokes he would take, his form of swimming. When he was visualizing himself on Mount Everest, the crunch of extremely cold snow under his feet, the smell and taste of of ozone so high, uh, the feeling of getting up there representing all those who had battled cancer and trying to inspire people to continue going and moving up and conquering your Everest, right? He had a flag that he took with him to the top that represented all these uh, people who had been affected by cancer and things. And so he just, he just sees it. Like, what does he want to do? So that's sort of what I talk about in ingrained. Like, what's the type of person you want to be? How do they live? What things do they do on a regular basis? Is what you do who you are? I think it is, at least in part, your behavior is sort of your who you are, your character and your integrity, your, your self-esteem and self-confidence and self-image is in a pretty large part based on what you do. So if you have a vision of yourself, how you want to be, work backwards. What are some of those characteristics, traits, and behaviors that that person does? And then start implementing those and, you know, start small so that it's actually something you can manage and show up and do on a daily basis and ingrain that into your subconscious mind as part of your routine and what you do and how you do it. And that becomes who you are. And then build on that, right? Take the next step, the next step. Eventually you become that person. And like Sean, you know, you conquer your Everest, you are an unstoppable person and you can summit every mountain that you choose to climb. So this is a very inspiring book, Being Unstoppable. If you go to Sean's website, you can get a signed copy like I did, but I will of course put the link below so that you can purchase your copy of the book. Go check out his other resources. Um, By the way, one way you can support the show is by purchasing your books through those links when you find a book that you want, because when you do, I get a portion of the sales price with no expense to you. So I appreciate that. Other ways you could support the show if you're interested is going to bronsonwilkes.com. Go to the store. You can purchase my ebook, Ingrained, uh, a three-step process to achieve any goal. There's some swag over there. You could go purchase Magic Mind, which is a sponsor of the show. 
And of course, the easier and free way is write a review, share this content, share your, share your favorite episodes, help us reach a broader audience because that helps us immensely. So I appreciate you guys showing up. Go check out Being Unstoppable by Sean Swarner and we'll catch you on the next one. Hey, thanks for listening to the entire episode. As a token of gratitude, I want to give you a discount on my book, Ingrained. Head over to bronsonwilkes.com slash store and download Ingrained for less than a dollar with the coupon code GOALS, G-O-A-L-S.